This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And I'm excited to start a new series in this new year of 2021. Um, I'm going to start a new series called Worth Reading. Uh, You've heard me reference a lot of different books on this podcast over the years that I've been podcasting and heard me talk about a lot of the different concepts that I have learned from them. And so I get a lot of questions about that, about which books, which, what should I read, why should I read it, or um, they start reading but they don't finish, or just a variety of different questions about books and why I read certain books or why I read so many books. And so I wanted to start a series talking about the books that I've read, uh, particularly those that have had a significant impact on my own recovery. So I'm calling it Worth Reading. These are worth reading for your own recovery journey and your own experiences in recovery. Reading for me has been a huge piece of my life in general, recovery specifically, but in life in general. I love to read. I didn't always love to read. I wasn't a child reader. Like I didn't read a lot when I was a child. My mom, on the other hand, read to us a lot as children. But my own personal love for reading started in my early 20s. <clears throat> and and I, and I remember, I remember it was Harry Potter. Harry Potter was one of the first books I read where I was like, I could not put this down. Like I needed to finish. And I finally had my stay up all night and read moment. I don't know that all adults have that, but most do, I think, at some point in time. And so... I finally like really learned to love reading. And of course, I was reading Harry Potter when we were still waiting for books to come out. So I read one and then had to wait for the next one to come out, which required me to venture out and start to read other types of books. I will say that my favorite genre to read is probably science fiction and fantasy. Um, I really love reading science fiction and fantasy. And second to that would be (laughs) self-help books. I read a lot of self-help books. So those are my two preferred genres. The reason I love science fiction, a lot of people ask me, like, how can you like science fiction? But what I love most, and I would say this is true about all literature in general. Literature gives us an opportunity to explore different ideas um, in within some kind of constraint and bound, right? So we don't have to, we can like try what different social constructs without actually having to play that out with real people and see the damage that it could be or or the benefits that it could be. It's kind of like a little experiment. Writing and literature and the arts, I would say in general, um, are experiments. They're all experiments of putting things together and seeing what works, whether that's different chord patterns and different lyrics and different instruments, whether that's different colors, different textures, uh, different mediums, whether that's different songs and different um, characters and different 
lines in a play, uh, whether that's different paragraphs and different words and different social constructs within a book. And that is one of the reasons I particularly love literature and love the arts is because the opportunity to really explore social constructs. I think science fiction does that more than any any other genre that I'm familiar with, I would say. Um, but we have, there's so many opportunities to imagine new forms of government or uh, new ideas, new political ideas, new ways that the genders might relate to each other. There's so much room in science fiction to explore all of those things. Um, I just a quick example I would say just really quickly um, there's a book I read called Earthborn and it's about like the whole society is reversed in that women are the only ones that can own property women are the only ones that can serve in government um, positions and things like that and then there's a tragedy that happens that requires the the social construct to be challenged and I just it was fascinating to me to read like how this author imagined um, how these things would play out. So enough about science fiction because you were not here to learn about science fiction. So anyway, I love science fiction for that reasons. And I find myself sometimes going back to some of the same concepts over and over again, gleaning new lessons, imagining new ways of relating, all sorts of things. Um, like I said earlier, this was kind of Reading was an essential part of my family, for sure. We were always reading. My mom always read us stories um, at night when we were falling asleep. She would sit in the hallway and read to us. It was always a big thing. And I remember, even as a teenager and into my adulthood, that at the beginning of the year, my mom would always go to the library or in the later years, order them from Amazon or, um, or go to the bookstore, either way, and check out a stack of books or buy a stack of books Um, That was kind of her reading for the year. And she would just have this stack and she would finish one and then start the next one and finish and start the next one. And it was always kind of a, at the beginning of the year process for her, kind of putting her reading together for the year. And that's a tradition that I have always followed as well. Um, I guess not always, but definitely the last 15, 20 years where I, at the beginning of the list, at the beginning of the year, put together a reading list. Um, The things that I want to read for that year, the things that feel important to me, and the topics that I've wanted to study. And so I want to share that with you. Um, Not my reading list, but just my passion for reading. And so I want to start today uh, with our Worth Reading series um, on the AA Big Book. So this is the It's called Alcoholics Anonymous is the actual name of the text, Um, and that's what it's copyrighted under, but it's most referenced as the big book. You'll hear it called that, or the AA big book, Um, but that's how they reference it. And big book has come to be a term that a lot of 12-step fellowships use to describe their main text. Um, So SAA has a book, they call it the green book, but I've also heard it called the big book. Um, the big book of SAA, right? Or SLAA has one. Sometimes I've heard it called the purple book because the cover is purple. Or it was. I don't think it is anymore, but it was purple at one point in time. Um, and so we have these, all the different fellowships have kind of a main text book that they use. And that term big book has come to uh, mean that 
reference that big text, that text that they use. So I want to start with the AA Big Book because it did have a significant role for me in recovery. Um, I was introduced to the AA Big Book, I don't know, maybe my second meeting uh, ever of, tw- of the 12-step fellowship I was attending. And my sponsor called herself or referenced herself as a AA sponsor or a Big Book sponsor, meaning that she used that text to sponsor me through the 12 steps. And I... I feel important to start here because AA is the beginning of so many um, traditions and so many uh, programs that we now have to help addicts um, with any type of addictive behavior, whether that's problematic sexual behavior, whether that's a substance abuse, whether that's a process addiction or behavior addiction or a substance addiction, doesn't matter. This is the text that started to pave the way for that. It's paved the way for hundreds of fellowships that we now have to help addicts all the way from, you know, Debtors Anonymous to um, Overeaters Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous. We have so many fellowships. There's hundreds of fellowships out there to help with problematic behavior. And this is the book that paved the way for that. It was originally published in 1939, if you don't know that. And the current edition is the fourth edition. Um, and that was uh, first published in 2001. There are 10 chapters that kind of constitute the main core of the book. I have the extended version that also has, uh, there's additional parts that have stories, um, stories of people in recovery. And a lot of them are kind of some of those original people that put together this text, that put together the 12 steps. And reading their stories has always been really inspirational to me. If I ever feel like I need kind of that hit of hope in my arm, (laughs) um, I always can go to these stories and get a lot of just just hope for the future, hope for change. Um, Yeah. And so I, I love having that part of the stories. I've heard Brene Brown say uh, that she reads from the big book every day. She said that in a recent podcast episode that that has always been part of her life. Um, For those of you that don't know, Brene Brown is um, an alcoholic in recovery. And I think the last sobriety milestone I saw of hers was 31 years. Um, But she has has often referenced uh, the the big book particularly, but just the 12 steps and how those have impacted her life. And it, like I said, it's just been a primary recovery text that I return to over and over again. So I want to share with you today um, some of my favorite quotes from the book. I tried to pick ones that just were really influential for me. Um, I also tried to, I mean, the 12 steps are in that book and there's a lot of information about the 12 steps and how to work the 12 steps and why we work the 12 steps. But I tried to avoid a little bit of that and pick some of the quotes that just um, were really helpful for me personally when looking at my own recovery. So starting from the beginning, chapter one is titled Bill's Story and it's uh, the story of Bill W. And I don't really have a quote from that chapter, but it's a really great chapter to see the overarching um, recovery journey, I would say. There's a lot of the first three steps in that chapter. As I read it many times, um, I would put things in the margin like, oh, powerlessness, oh, unmanageability, escalation, right? I would see these patterns in his story and be able to relate to those. 
Chapter two is where the text starts of, of how to recover, and it's titled, There is a Solution. Uh, a couple of my favorite quotes. Uh, this one's on page 24. It says, The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. I think any addict can relate to that, that feeling of powerlessness. This was the first real explanation that I understood about powerlessness. I had a hard time really agreeing that I was powerless, but this really, I really related to this idea that I was unable at certain times, I couldn't, at, at the beginning, I couldn't identify those times, but to bring into consciousness with sufficient force, the memory of the suffering or the humiliation that I had experienced. And I remember that was kind of the real first time that I understood the concept of powerlessness. This is just on the next page, page 25. It says, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And I remember just the feeling of hope that came. There is a solution. And like it says, it's hard. We don't like the self-searching. We don't like the leveling of our pride. We don't like the confession of our shortcomings. But I could see that it was working in other people. And and I really loved that that hope. Same page. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. And I loved that too. Um, again, that, that feeling of powerlessness that we have can be very depressing when we're in the first steps of addiction and addiction recovery, I should say. But I loved this idea that these people had had massive spiritual experiences that revolutionized their attitude. And that was what I wanted. I wanted a new attitude. I wanted a new life. I wanted a new attitude towards myself, towards others. And this, this helped me and gave me, gave me that hope. Chapter three is just titled more about alcoholism. And it just kind of goes into the details of how alcoholism is defined and also talks about the beginnings of the first of the steps. Uh, I just have a couple quotes from this chapter. This is on page 38. However intelligent we may have been in other respects where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. That was true for me. I definitely have considered, would have considered myself like intelligent. You know, I majored in mathematics. That's not an easy thing. I did a, had done a lot of things in my life. I had overcome a lot of obstacles. I read a lot. I did a lot of things. But where alcohol had been concerned for these people, for me, it was when relationships or sex or food or whatever it is you want to put in there had been involved, I had been strangely insane. And I just loved that those that wording and the the relationship that I felt or the the way that I related to that. It was so moving for me. Uh, the next page, page thirty nine, the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly any exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self knowledge. 
Um, again, this brought a lot of hope for me. And I kind of get emotional even just reading this sentence because I have always been one that has prided myself on self-knowledge, right? Knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is everything. Isn't that? I grew up with those commercials. Knowledge is power. Um, but however much knowledge I had tried to gain in this area, I couldn't make it work. And this was why, right? The actual or potential sexaholic, whatever you want to call yourself, with hardly any exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. There had to be more than that. And I quickly learned that there had to be more than that. A couple pages later, page 43, uh, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any human human being, sorry, any other human being can, po- can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. I appreciated that too because I knew, like, understanding that powerlessness, how do I find power then, right? If I can't do that, if I can't put that effective mental defense in there, how can I defend myself against this? And just kind of that clear understanding that that must come from a higher power. I remember um, a particular evening uh, where I was really struggling. It was my first maybe year, two years of recovery. And um, I pray or talk to my higher power a lot in my car. (laughs) That's one of my safe places where I do that. And I remember I was driving home. Um, I want to say it was a date, but I can't remember. I was driving home and I was just like, I can't do this. Like I can't do recovery. Like I, I, I can't do this tonight. Like all I wanted to do was go home and look at pictures and images and masturbate and do all those great things that I thought was going to help. And I just was like, I, I can't do this. Like I can't do this. And I was very emotional and really struggling and knew that if I got home by myself in my room, like I was a goner. Like I just knew that, that I was a goner and I didn't want to relapse. And I remember praying and saying like, I, I need you to do this for me. Like I can't do this. And the words that like really felt imprinted in my mind were like, I got this, Amy, I got this. And even now I can recall that calmness that just came into my life. Um, And I went home and I got in bed and I went to sleep and I had no struggle or temptation or anything like that. And I just was so grateful for that example or that defense that came from a higher power in my life at that time. Chapter four is called We Agnostics. And this is where we explore um, that concept of a higher power and the struggles that people may have had. Um, with that, I definitely came into the program with a very rigid view um, of a higher power that I had to challenge and change. Um, and so here's a few of the quotes that I really um, liked in this chapter. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. So on page 45, and that's a really common quote that we always quote from the big book, it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Uh, page 46. As soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power. And what I loved about that chapter or that quote is it is impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power. 
um, that was really challenging for me. I thought I had that all figured out. And so I really had to challenge my own understanding of a higher power. One of the things that I really loved about chapter four that my sponsor had me do, this was an activity she had me do, was um, in chapter four, the We Agnostics chapter, there are a lot of references to a higher power. And we know that they're a higher power reference because they're capitalized. It's a proper noun. And so one of the times she had me go through and just circle the way the different words that the book uses to define a higher power. So we have some of the common ones that we would think about, like power, um, God. But we also have supreme being. That's another common one. But we also have a lot of different ones. Um, creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, realm of spirit, um, power. Oh, here we go. Uh, guiding light, another creative intelligence reference, or creation. There's a lot of power references for sure, but there are some different and unique ones. Um, a bridge of reason, right? Again, capitalized. So a proper noun referring to a higher power as a bridge of reason or a new land. That's another one. Spirit of the universe. And I, I did an exercise where I went through all of these and wrote them down and talked about and wrote about, I should say, like, what really does that mean to me? And how do I really want to define my higher power? And I love going through that even now. Presence of God, infinite power and love, um, creator, uh, the great reality. So all of those words are used to define that higher power. And I love that the program allows us to do that for ourselves. Uh, last quote from chapter four. This is on page 46. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit, again, realm of spirit is capitalized. The realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men and women. So again, I just love this idea that the power of uh, the higher power concept I love the uh, power, the, sorry, I love the higher power concept and the way that we get to define that for ourselves. It did not have to be this rigid view of how I had been viewing it in the past. And I was grateful for that. Chapter five um, is how it works. And this is a lot about the 12 steps and how we do that. Um, on page 59, we read half measures availed us nothing. Half measures availed us nothing. I have to, I, I remind myself of that every day. Um, I don't use that quote. I use this other quote. I'm living for full success and I'm willing to pay full price because I can't get full success on half price. Like that doesn't work. Half measures availed us nothing. And that was something I really had to hold myself accountable to throughout the recovery process. Um, on page 60, we read, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. 
and that is something I remind myself of every day too. Progress, not perfection, right? Progress, not perfection. A um, couple more from chapter five. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. I, for me, I loved the idea of losing our fear um, of today, of tomorrow, of whatever might come. For me, that was a big part of my life when I entered recovery was fear or anxiety of the future. And as I worked my recovery system, I began to lose that fear. Again, from page 64, a couple quick quotes. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. That was a revelation to me that my acting out behavior was a symptom, right? That the actual addiction piece was a symptom. Uh, We had to get down to causes and conditions. And that helped me play the long game in recovery, right? I had to get down to causes and conditions. It wasn't about just controlling a specific behavior. It was about understanding why I needed or why I wanted that behavior and what I was going to do about it. Same page. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, but we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Here I just love the interplay between all of these aspects of our life, mental, physical, and spiritual, right? That we have these different um, aspects of our lives and our being, and the more that we recover in one, the more we recover in the others, right? That high tide raises all boats, you've probably heard that, but that when we work in the spiritual um, area of our lives, mentally and physically, we recover as well. When we work in the mental area of our life, physically and spiritually, we can we can start to uh, recover as well. There's just this great um, interplay between those areas of our life. I really liked chapter five. I have like three more quotes. Okay, it is this is page 66. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that may have been worthwhile? That's a slap in the face to me, right? Um, I had a lot of deep resentments in my life and it did lead to futility and unhappiness. And the more that at time that I give to that, the more I squander the hours that could be worthwhile. Um, Same page. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. Again, that was a big slap in my face. Like I had a lot of anger I had to get rid of. But in order to live, we had to be free of anger. Now, I I still love anger. I think anger is a good emotion that we need to understand. But we need to act on our anger and not act out our anger on other people, which is what I was doing. Okay, two more for chapter five. This is page 68. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. Um, That is something that I, in recovery area, sometimes get, I don't don't want to say ashamed of, but I'm um, sometimes hesitant to talk about how much I depend on my higher power for recovery. So let's be all really super clear that um, it is only through 
my reliance on a higher power that I have any recovery. Um, and sometimes I uh, want to downplay that a little bit. I don't know what that's about. I'll have to work on that. I'll work on that. But I just, I just think that this is true. Um, all men of faith have courage. All women of faith have courage. Uh, when we have faith in a higher power, however you define that higher power, it doesn't matter. Um, having faith in a higher power gives us courage. Last from chapter five, we earnestly play for, sorry, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. And I just, again, love this idea. We pray for the right ideal, for the guidance in every questionable situation. I find myself in a lot of questionable situations and always continually have that, okay, higher power, what, what do you want me to do? What should I do here? And having that strength to do just the next right thing. Okay, chapter six is about moving into action. And the title is moving, or not moving, but just into action. And I have a, a few quotes here. Uh, starting on page 73, we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. I, entering recovery, had the total opposite idea that I would never be entirely honest with anybody <laughs> and that that would keep me safe and protected, right? If I wasn't entirely honest, I wouldn't be vulnerable and then I would be safe and then I would be protected and I would live long and happy in this world. And that wasn't working. But this was a big challenge to me. I had to be entirely honest with somebody. And I've learned that that actually helps me stay happy and helps me stay in relationship and helps me um, stay in recovery. Yeah, page 78. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be the maximum service to our higher power and the people about us. I have found that to be true too. Sometimes recovery absorbed every ounce of energy that I had in order to just put my life together. But that is not the end in itself, right? Putting our lives together. Um, taking that lessons and the things that we've learned and helping other people, that is where I have found my true recovery, I would say. Same page, page 78. We will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are... We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Again, right? It's not just about controlling a behavior in the present. Like we read earlier, we have to get down to the reasons and the causes. So we'll never get over drinking or sexting or pornography or one night stands or anything like that until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. That's just a fact of recovery. <laughs> This is on page 82, still in chapter six. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. That is true. Um, if that is you, you think sobriety is enough, right? Sometimes we feel like, well, if I just stop the behavior, my life is wonderful. But that's not how it's, that's not how it works. The alcoholic or anyone with an addictive behavior is a tornado roaring the way, his way through the lives of others. Um, sobriety is not enough. We have to go back and fix the past. We have to 
um, uproot our own thoughts and thinking, we have to be willing to put it all on the table and be willing to change everything about ourselves in order to live a different life. Uh, page 83. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. Again, just a reminder that this is a long period of reconstruction. Uh, chapter, uh, page 84. Love and tolerance of others is our code. I love that too. And uh, it looks like our last one from chapter six here. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And again, this is just talking about how we recover one day at a time and we don't, we aren't afraid of the future. We aren't afraid that we're going to act out again because we, when we keep in fit spiritual condition, those things go away. Okay, chapter seven. We just have a few more here, guys. Chapter seven is called Working with Others. I just have a few quotes here. As we go through the day, we pause. When agitated or doubtful, we ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves that we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. I just love that reminder, right? That we're no longer running the show um, and that we're allowing, we're living life. That's where that phrase comes, living life on life terms, life's terms, living life on life's terms. I feel like I am mumbling today. I apologize for that. Uh, A few more from chapter seven. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. That is true. If you are struggling to stay sober, you need to find someone to work with. Both of you can work together to stay sober. Uh, Page 98. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, spouse or no spouse, we simply do not stop drinking as long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Just a reminder of what we talked about earlier. Uh, This is from page 100. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to use. No, I don't want to do that one. Okay, last two quotes from chapter seven. This is page 103. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. I love this one because I have been to a lot of fellowships that are very rigid and I've seen a lot of sponsors who are very rigid in their way of approaching this work. And I would say bordering intolerance, if not intolerant, right? If it doesn't, if you don't do it my way, it's not real recovery. If you don't do it the big book way, it's not real recovery. And what I have found is that spirit of intolerance repels a lot of people who may have been saved um, if we had not been so stupid in that area. And then the last one from chapter seven, page 103, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. I'm just going to leave that right there. Our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. 
Chapter eight is called To the Wives, and um, it really, it's about partners, uh, partners of alcoholics. I have just one quote from chapter eight. We want to leave you with the feeling that no solution is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. I, I love that quote. I don't think that um, that means that we have to stay in a relationship that may be damaging to us or to them. Um, I don't think that it means that we have to endure abuse. Um, but I do think that when we start to get on the road of our own recovery, that there is no situation too difficult or unhappiness too great to be overcome. Uh, chapter nine is about the family afterwards. I just have two small quotes. Page 122. Cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. I would say that about acting out sexually too, right? Um, when we stop acting out sexually, when we stop the pornography, the sexting, the relationships, the sex, all of that, that is just but one step. The first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. And on page 2123, the alcoholic has spent years in pulling down the structures of business, romance, friendship, health. These things are now ruined or damaged. It will take time to clear away the wreck. Through Though old buildings will eventually be replaced by finer ones, the new structures will take years to complete. And again, I think they were onto something when they were talking about when they were trying to play the long game of recovery. This is years. This is a year's process. Not a week's, not a month's. This is a year's process. Chapter 10 is called, is to the employers. And uh, there's not a whole lot there for me to read or to share with you. So I'm not going to. Um, and then chapter 11, the final chapter of the main text is called A Vision for You. And so I'd like to end um, with reading just from A Vision for You um, at the end of the text. This is on page 164. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass to you will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. The AA Big Book has been highly instrumental in my own recovery. Um, I, I, w I can't be Brene Brown. I don't read from it daily still, but I do make sure that I read through it, um, those first few chapters, at least once a year. I always have since I started recovery because there is so much, so much great information there. I've always been one that believes in like, take what works for you and leave the rest, right? And so while there may be some things that bug me about this book, pronouns, <laughs> for instance, that it's always referencing it's a man's disease, those types of things. Um, there's some, you know, stereotype things from the 30s and 40s when it was written. Okay. But there is so much truth and so many gems of great things in recovery and so many challenges to my own struggles that helped me challenge faulty beliefs that I was still holding on to or um, core kind of concepts that had felt I had felt I had figured out but was challenged when I read this. And that's what I love about books. I love the opportunity to challenge our own beliefs and the opportunity to really look and explore other concepts and ideas. 
So I'm going to continue to, at once a month, share with you one of the books that was key and core to my own recovery. If you have a specific book you'd like me to share about, awesome. Send me an email, amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. I'd love to hear from you. But I always want you to remember that no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter if you haven't read any books in recovery, you are still 100% worth it. 100% worth recovery. I know that and I believe that. And if you don't, you can just rely on my belief until you get there. I hope that you have a really great day. Remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.